There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir. They have the car stopped at 10th and Grinch microfiber. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. everyone and welcome to police off the cuff real crime stories i'm so excited about this show tonight i'm retired nypd sergeant bill cannon 27 year veteran retired out of manhattan north homicide squad if you like police and real crime stories from a police perspective you're in the right place and tonight you get to see a sergeant boss around chiefs you know so it's gonna it's gonna be pretty damn exciting uh, I can't believe I got these three guys, and thank God they're not in the same room because the egos would just hit each other and smack each other in the head, you know. So they're in different locations. And at the top right, we got Edmund Hartnett, a 27-year veteran of the NYPD, uh, left the department as a one-star chief. That's because he went on to bigger and better things. He became the police commissioner of Yonkers. Eddie, welcome to the show. Good evening. Good evening, Bill. Chief. Uh, Joe, good evening. Good to be with you. You see, he's taking a little reverence toward the other chiefs here. It's yeah. it's it's unbelievable. Absolutely. They did so much <laughs> more than you, Bill. <laughs> the lower left is uh, former chief of department, Louis Anamone. Uh, the press always described him as hard-charging. Uh, people used a lot of adjectives to describe Chief Louis Anamone, but he was one of the architects of Comstat, one of the most uh, probably prolific chiefs on the NYPD. I called him the guru of uh, disorder control. Comstat, he was a street cop all the way. Chief Anamone, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Billy. Thank you, Eddie. Great to have you here. <laughs> the bottom right, we have Chief Joe Fox, a 37-year veteran. I know he doesn't look that old. He retired as the chief of the transit police. And he's moved on to bigger and better things. He's actually a motivational uh, coach, speaker. Every time you see him, he's around the city, visiting precincts, shaking hands, kissing babies. He's almost like a politician. So, folks, the, the, now that I've introduced the players here. Oh, by the way, these guys have over 100 years of police experience. You never know by looking at how young these guys are. And, in fact, you know, uh, Eddie Hartnett, I, I always said, he, he, the only picture he has online is his communion picture, you know, and that's what's on the screen right now. And uh, that's the last time I comb my hair. <laughs> that's right. That's right. He has the best hairdo here. Folks, what the format is, um, each one of these retired chiefs is getting 20 minutes to tell either their best war story or just their best story they have or multiple stories. And uh, Chief Joe Fox requested to go first. And since I didn't see any, um, Anyone protesting that, uh, I'm going to let him go first. By the way, folks, there's a $200 prize dinner at Spumoni Gardens. Hey, I'll, 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 I'll let you lick your lips right there. Um, for the winner, best, the best story voted by the people in the chat. And Angie Eng, uh, one of our moderators, is going to count near the end when we take the vote here. So uh, Chief Anamone and uh, Commissioner Hartnett, I'm going to put you guys in the uh, penalty box and uh, – I'm going to give the floor uh, to Chief Joe Fox. Hey. I can pull you guys out at any point, so don't worry. Thank you. That, and, Bill, at the risk of cutting into my uh, my story, 
um, I, I must, I don't even know if I shared this with Chief Panamon. I, I, I was going to his retirement party. Uh, I was at, I think, the Grand Marquis, a beautiful hotel in Manhattan. And I remember walking through the, you know, Times Square there, looking at the, how different that place was than only five, ten years ago. And it was the work of all, of all the cops. But I remember thinking, wow, this was the quarterback. Tonight we're going to honor the quarterback who, who led us through all of this. So thank you, Chief. I know you're in the back there, but thank you. Um, Bill, thanks for this. Um, Angie, I, 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 now that you said that there's a reward in here for the best stories, I suggest you do some fact-checking because uh, people are going to be making some, some stuff up now for one of those pizzas, but I promise I won't. Uh, we're ready to go, Bill. Chief, you're ready to go. All right. Gentlemen, okay, start so, your engines. Start <laughs> your engines. So Mike Collins and I, well, we, we, you know, we get like a year or so in a job. We're, we're working together in a car. It's a day tour. Uh, job comes over, you know, suspicious, 1010, uh, woman hasn't been seen. We get to this. It's a small apartment building, a couple of blocks of Ocean Parkway over near Avenue M. Uh, meet the super, takes us up to the fire escape. This woman hasn't been seen in about a week. Uh, so, you know, you know what we, we, what we expect when we get in that window. So we, he helps us open that back window. We climb in. So we're expecting that odor as soon as we open that window to just hit us. And it didn't. So we climb in, bracing for that. Um, and Mike and I turn to each other and say, not too bad. <laughs> so we're walking around and we find this woman uh, in, in the on the floor in the bathroom. And with all of our, you know, vast medical experience, we pronounce her dead. Uh, and we call the sergeant, we call the command, we put, put all that stuff in play, um, confirm DOA. And uh, I go out to the car to get my, my briefcase because, you know, scratch 61s and everything. I think we even got on a, used her landline to start getting some numbers from the 124 room. And uh, when I go out, there's a, a, an older woman in the hallway and she says, what happened, officer? So in my most empathetic and sympathetic voice, I look at her and say, the woman in 3E passed on. And she says, oh, that's terrible. I says, yes, it is. Um, so I come back upstairs and the sergeant gets there, John T. Philippus, and you know he's doing whatever, whatever he, he did. And uh, EMS gets there and we tell him she's in the bathroom, we just need you to pronounce. And they're in there and all of a sudden we hear them start shouting commands at each other. <laughs> get this, get that, and they yell out to us, she's not dead. So John D. Philippus looks at the both of us, like with this look of shock and says, if I'm ever hurt on the scene of anything, please make sure you two guys don't show up. So now I walk back outside to get some more stuff out of the RMP. They're working on her. They worked on her for like an hour. And there's a whole bunch more people out in that hallway. And one of them says to me, probably the same woman, uh, says, so where are they taking her? So I looked with that sympathetic voice because I had to look like I know what I was talking about now. And I said, we found signs of life in her. <laughs> so the paramedics worked on her for about an hour and this poor woman died. Uh, Mike and I leave. Um, we, we, we feel like the laughing stocks of the command and it, it's, it's going all over. Uh, we get in our car in front, close the door. We're looking at each other. And just before we pull away, another sweet looking older woman with, a, with a, a, a carriage, shopping carriage, she's halfway using as a walker, stops us and says, officers, what happened? So with that empathetic, sympathetic voice, I say, the woman in 3E passed on. And she says, 
She was a no good rotten bitch, that one. <laughs> and me and Mike just looked at her and put up the windows and we laughed all the way from that job in between every job that we went on for I think like the next, the next month. Um, poor lady, um, we're not doctors. Um, another one is we're, we're in anti-crime now. Uh, me and Mike Collins and Jack Driscoll. And you know, you know, Chief, it's amazing how you can remember so vividly people that were working with you, the sergeant that responded to the scene. It's it's very impressive, you know. But the, for people that had done police work, um, maybe we all do that. I don't know. I know Chief Anamone has an unbelievable memory. I can't uh, I can't attest to Ed, Eddie Hartnett. I'm not sure how his memory is, but uh, well, I know Chief well, Anamone has a great memory. Well, well, you, you know, Bill. Uh, they, they, as you know, they say like crime victims, you remember everything because it's traumatic. So I wouldn't say this was traumatic, but it's pretty memorable because I felt pretty stupid. And you remember a lot of the details. And so now, so now we're coming out of the station house and we hear the, the, the person on the switchboard shouting over to the desk. I'm calling in, I'm calling 911. You know, we got a man with a gun. So being active anti-crime cops, we say, whoa, don't call anybody. Give us that. So it's very detailed description of a of a guy who parked his car in front of a building on Caton Caton Avenue, right 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 near the the task force, and uh, I mean really detailed description of the car of him. Even it says he's inside the building. So we go there and we're sitting on this, and it's perfect. The car is right where they said it was. Now we're just waiting for this guy who we we have like a picture of him in our head because the the description was so detailed, and we weren't very patient. Uh, but this we gave gave time to him. We sat there for about an hour, an hour and fifteen minutes. The guy comes out, so of course we don't jump right on him because in case the gun's in the car, we want possession, right? So we want him in the car. Uh, list of things not to do, by the way. So uh, he gets in the car. We we jump, you know, get out of you know, drive up to him, pull up behind him, felony car stop. I'm on the driver's side. Mike and Jack on the passenger side. Police, police, police. Got our shields out. We're in plain clothes, but. We're yelling, banging on the window, and this guy's just like he's not complying. So he starts to put it in gear. So Mike takes the butt of his gun and breaks the passenger side window, like shatters it, reaches in, grabs the keys out. We take this guy out. And as soon as we get this guy out, uh, he doesn't speak English. He's got some type of African accent. Uh, it, it, our gut is telling us this guy's not a perp. He's been set up by, by, by like a an ex-girlfriend or something. And, you know, we're tossing him, we're tossing the car. And every every moment, we, we have a worse feeling about this because we're coming up with nothing. And especially Jack and Mike, they just broke the window. So I, I go through his wallet and and I, you know, pull out some of his stuff and I and I look, look over at these two guys and I say, aha, just like I thought. And they both look up. They're like, thank God we found something. And I said, no photo on his license. <laughs> So they both look at me like, like I'm like I'm an idiot. Uh, and we get this guy. We we had him follow us into the precinct, and we you know we helped him get the forms that he had to fill out to get money back from the city, which probably took him three years. And you know, thinking of this as I'm telling this story, you know, I was a young. We were young cops, even though we were anti-crime. An older Joe Fox would have come up with a much better solution. Uh, we would have at least went to a body shop and got his window fixed that night. I guarantee it. So here, this poor guy went home, and we feel like we're doing the right thing because we're giving him a bunch of forms to go deal with the city. 
Uh, but with the serious note is, when when Amadou Diallo happened, you remember that guy, African, who was yes. killed, 40 shots, 41 shots? I thought of this guy right away. Because as I remember, there was a, there was a language issue with him. Uh, there was a communication challenge. And he turned. And there were cops. And he didn't, he didn't act like there were cops. Neither did this guy. And, you know, thank God this guy didn't do anything that made us think he was armed. Uh, because that was a big communication mix-up with the two of us. And all, all came out of it was a broken window. And this guy rode home with a breeze that night. Uh, then another one popping up for me is it's a nice, I think it's a Saturday. And Mike and I are in our car and, uh, and we get a call of a burglary in progress. So it's around like the team, some Albemarle, Beverly. And we go, no information, nothing. Nobody has to complain it. And we see a guy that looks good to us walking on the street. We get out. We grab him, he's, he's, he's a junkie. We cuff him to a wrought iron fence, right? This is like on a Saturday morning. We cuff him to a wrought iron fence uh, right next to a church. So we left him under the, under the watch of God. And we just get back in our cars and go like down the block to get the, to go to the, the complainant. We interview the complainant, our guy sounds good. We, we drive back, um, we grab him, we put him in the car, we go up, we got our plan. You know, Mike is gonna go inside because we don't wanna be Suggestive, right? So Mike is going to go inside with the with the witnesses, and I walked the guy outside with no handcuffs on, and it was him. So you know, this is a, this is a good one for me of many. Thank God I have many of these because moments where I find myself saying, "What were these idiots thinking?" You know, as a boss, when something comes to you and you find yourself saying that, I try to catch myself and remember I was the idiot, and and I was thinking the right thing, and I meant well. And I did some stupid things doing it. And, and I'm going to leave with this one. Uh, and this one, there's, there's no laughs here, but this is one I'll never forget. It's actually the subject of the column I just wrote. In my, I do a monthly column with the Rockaway Wave. And it's a, it's a week or two after 9-11, and I get a letter in my office. I'm the chief of Brooklyn South. And it's handwritten. And I'm thinking it's written by, like, a guy that's been knocked around, you know, with cops. Because he, he, the language is choppy. And he says, you know, he used to, he writes in the letter, he used to think cops were out here to harass people all the time. And now he realizes what they did, what they do. Because, you know, 23, he died. So I run out of my office, I hold up the letter, and I tell my staff, we got to get this guy. We got to turn him. We got to finish the job that our 23 year old started. Um, and they go find him. He's 10 years old. He lives in the projects in Brooklyn. His name is Ira Kadeem Griffin. They bring him in. I meet him. Uh, we have a nice exchange. You know, we get to know his mother. And this continues basically throughout his life. Visits to Brooklyn South. And, uh, you know, he's visiting me when he's in college. He, he tells me when, when he's in college, he tells me he got selected to be a teacher in Detroit, having lunch when I was a chief of transit. I look at him. I says, Ira, that's a challenging place. And he looks at me and with this smile. He says, I know Uncle Fox. That's why I'm excited about it. So today he's a principal. In 33 years old, he's a principal in Newark High School, uh, in, a, in a middle school in Newark. I went to see him last week to catch up and do an updated photo for the, the article. And, and uh, I went to see him at work this time. And he, uh, uh, as soon as I got off the highway, I saw how tough this community is. And I thought, my young friend, 
who I met when he was 10 years old, is responsible for the education of these of the, the young people in this community. So there's a bunch of takeaways for me, but I'm going to give you one. If there's one thing I'm proud of with my leadership style, it was all about team building. And if it was not for the fact that I knew how to back away from things and let people do what they had to do, the relationship with Ira was never me and Ira. It was me and Ira. It was Richie Gubatosi and Ira, the sergeant who ran my office. It was Nevros Duncan. It was Joyce Hooper, the PAA who worked in my office. And it was like literally a village raising a child. And, and it was like really, you know, I mean, this kid, uh, he would have made it on his own. But I consider it such an honor that we all got to witness just a part of it. And he's out there today changing the lives of others. So uh, that's what I got. You know, Chief, I think if I could see the people in the chat, I'm sure there's tears running down the faces of some of the people hearing that story. That's a that's a great story. I, I don't know if I if I asked Chief uh, Anamone and Hartnett if they would agree because they're in competition with you. They may say that story sucks. <laughs> I can't stop that. Joe, Joe, you win. I can't stop that, man. <laughs> well, I'll throw this out there. I'm not eating carbs. So anybody voting, keep in mind that I think these guys will enjoy that great pizza uh, even more than I would. All right, Chief Animal, we're back in. We're back in. We're back in. <laughs> oh, now, now, Chief, you, uh, Chief Fox, you uh, had told me earlier that you needed to leave. So, I, if you want, I could take you off the screen. If you want to stay, you could stay. No, I'll hang. I'll hang around. I'm. I'm too pumped up. Okay, you're pumped up. I'm. I'm going to still just put you in the penalty box for a while with Eddie Hartnett because I'm going to give Chief Animone the screen by himself. Uh, yes, I'm going to remove, remove you guys. Chief, great story, right? And I know that you have some amazing stories, but, uh, you know, let's see, well, let's see what you got. <laughs> it's going to be very hard to top, Chief Fox. So what I'd like to do, Billy, is just jump around a little bit, different years, different Absolutely. Things, different things. So Later on in my career, you know, I, they thought of me as the uh, disorder control guru. You know, I, I worked with a team that created disorder control guidelines. But early on in my career, it wasn't quite the same. So it's 1985. I forget if you were a uh, cop in the 2-0 at this point. I just came on the job in 85. Yeah. So I'm the uh, CEO of the... Uh, the 2-0, and I have the duty, the daytime duty, 7-3, nice, easy, you know, fourth division, nothing ever happens. And the borough calls and says, oh, we have a, uh, a detail over in the 19th precinct. Uh, we're going to send you a sergeant and six or seven from the NSU-4, and uh, you, you'll supervise them. Uh, you know, they, there's no lieutenant available. And all right, uh, what, what, what's the uh, occasion? So back then, 1985, uh, Channel 5, Fox TV, was on East 67th Street between 2nd and 1st Avenue. Uh, the 19th Precinct was up the block between the 3rd and, I'm sorry, between 3rd and 2nd was uh, Fox, and uh, the Precinct was between uh, 3rd and Lex. Stop at the Precinct, get a roster, a head over just a block away to see what the, uh, you know, what the details all about. So they had a um, Fox on their morning show had a, uh, I guess a celebrity appearing. I, I didn't, I had never heard of the celebrity turned out to be a celebrity group. It was called Menudo. 
Anybody here remember Menudo? So I'm, I don't know, I was uh, 30 years old, 40 years old at the time. Menudo meant nothing to me. I found out later my daughter knew about Menudo. So I show up with the uh, sergeant and the NSU, five or six cops. Uh, we're there about an hour before the show was even starting. And suddenly, <laughs> and I mean suddenly, the uh, subway up at Lexington Avenue must have emptied. And there's 100. Then there's 200. Then <laughs> there's three or 400 screaming girls in 67th Street between 2nd and 3rd Avenue, all screaming names of Menudo members or the Menudo itself. And I'm scrambling with the sergeant and these six or seven rookies to try and control them on one side of the street because Menudo hasn't arrived yet. And finally, Menudo shows up and now there's five or 600 girls. And I'm talking from the ages like 11 to maybe 15, 16 years old. Uh, just screaming, going wild. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm looking at the sergeant. I said, do you, do you know anything about this group? He's never heard of it. <laughs> I said, all right, just try and you know, control. The you know, chief, one of them is the guy, Ricky Martin, who okay. became famous on it. But he was one of the members of Menudo. All right, Menudo. became famous, yeah. So he, he was a big deal, apparently, to the yeah. young girls. They pull up in their Cadillacs and uh, with security details. Uh, and now there's a surge of these kids through the barriers, over the barriers. And I've got a, a wall of blue cops in front of uh, the studio to hold them back and let these characters in. So they get in uh, without too much effect. The girls stay. Now the show is on maybe an hour or so, maybe less. Uh, we're out in front. All right, now we're talking with the girls, calming everything down. Everyone's okay. They're on the other side of the street. And <laughs> now it's time for Menudo to leave. And now all hell breaks loose. Billy, <laughs> I learned a lot about disorder control on that day tour in the 19th precinct. Screaming girls chasing this uh, limo that had the, you know, the stretch limo that had these band members in the car, up the corner, beyond the corner. Instead of turning, you know, at the avenue, he, he kept going. I guess he wanted to go up to Third Avenue and go north. These girls followed him the entire block, screaming. And, you know, we're standing there looking at each other. I, as long as no one got hurt, I guess this is a, uh, a win for us. It sounds like uh, 1963 with the Beatles when they yeah, came to Shea yeah. Stadium. Yeah. They, used to, they went nuts over them like that. But I guess everyone knew or expected, you know, the crowds with the Beatles. I was just caught so unaware. So, again, the importance of timely, accurate information before you and while you're planning for any kind of an event. I so knew you were going to uh, draw a parallel to Comstead over yeah. this. <laughs> that was Menudo 1985. Uh Jumping around again. So now we're, uh, it's 1991. So let me just back up. In 1990, I was promoted, uh, I was transferred from the CO of the uh, 3-2. I was a deputy inspector and sent to the 3-4 as a CO. 
Deputy Inspector, January 1990. Six months later, I was promoted. The fastest promotion in my uh, history, in my life, you know, six months, un unbelievable. But I was transferred at the same time. I was transferred to the uh, Bronx and uh, I was made full inspector, but CEO of the ninth division in the Bronx. So, you know, I started asking around, you know, what's going on, et cetera, et cetera. Turns out the PBA was responsible for my promotion. Wow. They were, they were having such a tough time with me in the three, four. You know, one of the board members of the PBA at the time was a, uh, a former three, four cop. He and I worked together as cops in the three, four. So uh, I guess he went, he went to the police commissioner or somebody, get this guy out of here. <laughs> he's causing, you know, he's creating waves. He's this, he's that. And, uh, you know, they, they weren't about to just transfer me on the word of the PBA. So to make it look good, they promoted me and then transferred me. I did six months as the CEO of the three, four. My shortest tenure anywhere ever during 35 years of uh, work at the NYPD. And how was it when you arrived in the Bronx? Did they welcome you with open arms or what? This is the straight line I was hoping for. So Eddie, you gotta listen to this one now. And uh, Joe, if he's still around. So I get to the, uh, the Bronx division office. Jack Scanlon is the XO in the ninth division. So he was, you know, I said, you know, we had a quick conversation. I said, Jack, listen, I want to get out in the street. I want to see, you know, what I'm responsible for. I only did a couple of nights, you know, with street crime up in the uh, Bronx. Let me get a sense of uh, the ninth division. Oh, yeah, 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 sure. Go ahead. So it was a four to 12. It was early on the four to 12. I went out. I did the, you know, the four six. I did the four seven. I did the five oh. Now I'm coming down into the five two. Now I don't know if it was Kingsbridge or one of the side streets off Kingsbridge, I stop at a light, I'm in the unmarked. I'm in full uniform. It's, you know, I don't know, uh, it's still in the summer, so it's like August, it may be six, 6.30, stop at the light, I look over to the right, and you know, there's a bodega on the corner, and here's a kid, maybe 16, maybe 17, sitting on a milk crate, and he makes eye contact. You know, so I give him the big, you know, NYPD smile, you know, hi. <laughs> and he sticks up his finger. <laughs> <laughs> and this was, this was my welcome to the Bronx. I went back, you know, to the, uh, to the borough, and I told uh, Jack Scanlon the story. He said, oh, no, you know, the Bronx isn't like that. <laughs> We're better than that. So the very next day we worked together, he took me around and showed me the Bronx Zoo, you know, uh, bot botanical gardens, the stadium. Uh, and I, I always thought that was my welcome to the Bronx story. <laughs> now, I don't know if anyone else has one of those stories. So now I'm the chief of department in 1995. Uh, I was chief of patrol for one year and I worked the St. Patrick's Day parade in 94 as a chief of patrol. But we had a lot of demonstrations that year. There was a lot going on with the uh, groups that were banned from marching, et cetera, et cetera. I really never got anywhere near the cathedral. So 1995, the St. Patrick's Day Parade. I'm leading, you know, the parade in uniform. 
and we pull up in front of, we stop in front of St. Patrick's Cathedral. I mentioned to a couple of detectives in Intel, Billy Villaverde and uh, Jimmy Hughes. Jimmy, I think, was assigned to the Cardinal. I said, listen, when I get there, you know, when you guys show me how to, you know, come up and introduce myself to the Cardinal, Cardinal O'Connor. Oh, yeah, 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 sure. No problem. Just step off, you know, step out of line because the parade will wait. I said, oh, great. So I do that. I walk over. Sure enough, Billy and Jimmy are there. They bring me in close. I mean, I am close with the Cardinal. We shake hands. He gives me a smile. I give him a smile. A few, you know, nice words to each other. And, you know, I leave. I said, oh, you know, this, this made my day. The best St. Patrick's Day parade ever. I go two, three blocks marching with the group. And here comes Villa Verde. Comes up, you know, interrupts now the parade, grabs me to the side. What's going on? Something happened? No, he says, uh, Cardinal O'Connor's ring is missing. Oh, I said, what? They check your pockets, Chief. <laughs> his, his ring is missing off his finger. He says, you were the last guy to shake hands with him. <laughs> Can you believe this? That's a loss in his statistic in that precinct. Can you believe this? <laughs> what are you, crazy? How do you take his ring? <laughs> so then I wanted to know whether this was some sort of an anti-Italian bias in the department. So, you know, I, you know, and I, I was freaking crazy. Walk another couple of blocks. He comes back. He tells me he found the ring in the, in the folds of his garment or something. You know, it was a cold day. He had a couple of layers on. I, was I think the Cardinal may have had a couple of drinks, too. <laughs> oh, this was early in the morning. I don't think anyone drinks at that time. <laughs> Oh, God, the new chief of department stealing the Cardinal's ring. I can <laughs> see the headlines now. Oh, God. So that's my funny stories. Those are, those are great. Can we ask a couple of questions, Chief? Sure. Um, Eddie, you got any questions of the chief? Well, I want to know if there was a, a complaint report done on that missing ring, but... <laughs> They told me Intel was handling it, Ed. <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> and the tip <Hitler> file. <laughs> Chief, when you see the department now and you see the way things are now, what are your thoughts? So, you know, what the audience should know is I'm teaching at John Jay, right? I'm teaching a master's course for NYPD executives captains and above who are working on their masters. So the NYE does half of the funding, John Jay does the other half. So now this is my fourth or fifth year doing this. One term a year, every uh, fall term I do it, the, the one course, critical issues in policing. So five years ago, I came up with the title. You know, to me, it sounds like it's ti as timely today as it was in 2018 when I started. But I'm struck, without mentioning any names, any students or something, I've had now, I don't know, five years, I guess 100. You know, there were about 20 in the class, uh, five years of this. 
the lack of morale, the, uh, you know, just they're, they're disheartened. And it all has to do with the lack of support at the very, very top, whether it's at the mayor's level, the city council level, or the governor and the, uh, you know, the assembly and the Senate. It's really a, a political thing now where they've, you know, disemboweled the, uh, the NYPD. It's terrible to see. And I, you know, I'm a rah-rah guy. I bleed, you know, I bleed blue when I talk to them and try to get them, you know, enthused. But it's a, uh, it's a tough, 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 tough battle. It's, it breaks my heart. Listen, one of the other stories I was going to mention, you know, I, I, I won't do it right now, but the idea that, you know, people have paid with their lives, people we know, people we worked with, you know, for the uh, general welfare of the city of New York. And to see all that that was gained over the years, over these many years, just pissed away. Uh, it breaks my heart, but it's it's also a, uh, it's a, Terrible, terrible threat and risk, you know, for the city and for the cops that are working today. You know, Chief, I don't think it's just NYPD. I think it's a national problem. I think policing was attacked on a national level. It's still being attacked. Yeah. And they've taken all the tools away that they need to do their job. I cringe when I see people eight feet away from a cop videotaping him yeah. uh, while he's trying to do his job. Why is that allowed? Yeah. Why there should be a law against that? That is such bullshit. That someone, what if they got in the face of a lawyer or a doctor? Or yeah. is that going to be permitted? I don't think so. Why are they allowed to do that to a cop? And yeah. people will say, "Oh, we want it to be, you know, transparent." They got a goddamn body worn video. Everyone's videotaping for no one should be allowed to stand eight feet away from a cop and say, "Officer, what are you doing? Let me have your shield number." I'd like to slap every person I see do that. I so swear to God. So, Billy, in, in, in accord with, with what you're saying, we just had this uh, case in the, uh, I think it was the Bronx, it may have been the city, where the cop slapped the woman. That was great. <laughs> slapped the woman who was interfering with the arrest of a murder suspect armed with a gun. Talk about violating your personal space, your personal safety space, particularly when you're a cop engaged in law enforcement, in the street. And this, this took a couple of days before this thing settled down. This is crazy, absolutely crazy. That was your old command. That was the 3-2, right? It was the 3-2, all right. Yep, yep, yep. You know, yeah. Chief, I'm also, you know, I mean, I have to just say I'm surprised that uh, the officer was backed by the mayor and the PC. You know, the political winds, if they blew a little stronger, they would have ran for cover. And... Yeah. Uh, they backed them, though. So uh, I guess they, they had to, in a way. Are you going to tell a cop that he has to take that shit when they're arresting an armed perpetrator for murder? Yeah. You know, it's crazy. Um, yeah. So kudos to, to both of them, uh, the commissioner and the mayor, for stepping up. Because we need it. If you can't defend that cop in that circumstance, well, then there's nobody that you can defend ever. Right? You know, there's a John Donahue in the chat, and he just gave me 20 bucks. Thank you, John. Oh. And he, he asked the question, yeah. and I, this could be for any one of the chiefs. What would you do in order to improve morale and drive up recruitment? Eddie Hartnett, what, do you, what would you do? 
recruitment is is tough. I mean, I I get calls now all the time, and I never I never tell people don't go into policing, but you know now I have to kind of say you know really think about it. Uh, the you know, we always talk about you know the military, but the military is having problems now recruiting. But I mean, I used to love nothing against college people. I I had a, I have a college degree, I have a master's degree, thankfully. But when I had a choice, when there were ten rookies coming to the precinct, and two of them had military and two of them had master's degrees, I wanted the military kid. Because they understand how to follow orders, they understand discipline. Uh, but you know, military college campuses are, are probably not the place to go to recruit anymore, as, as much as we have to use them to recruit. But I think more military, uh, you know, and more more trade school graduate types. Uh, you know, we need these working class kids to, to to get back to coming into the this very noble profession of ours. Uh, uh, Chief Fox, same question. <clears throat> yeah. Um, you know, I heard years ago in, in the political world that politics is local, and I've always believed morale is local. And when when we when we wait for something to happen, like you know, city level, national level, you mentioned, Bill, it's not going to happen. Morale has to be something that we work at. Uh, it's just like it's just like somebody in recovery; they have to work at it every day. There's a Zig Ziglar quote, you know, people say bathing doesn't last, uh, motivation doesn't last, neither does bathing. That's why we do it daily. And this has to be something that every sergeant, chief animal, the executives you have, every captain, they all have to see their power to lift up the morale of the cops around them. They can't wait for, for a department memo to do it. They can't wait for any chiefs to do it. It's, it's our responsibility, sergeants, lieutenants, captains, to try and and, and the 80% of that is communicating to these cops that you are with them. Because So we go through the ranks thinking, of course they know I'm with them. I'm a cop, right? No, you're not. You're a sergeant, you're a captain, you're a chief. They don't think you're with them unless you tell them they are, unless they see that you are. And we have to show that we're. My favorite thing I do whenever I talk to cops, which is always, I say hello, and then I walk away, and I wait till I'm eight feet away, and I turn back and I say, Bruce, Mary, Richie. One more thing. Yes, Chief? Don't take any nonsense. And they smile. There's nothing I can do for them. But what I'm acknowledging is it's tough. I know it's tough. I'm with you. And then I walk away. So morale is not, it's, when we stop seeing it as a magical thing and realize that it's each of our jobs to try and impact as best we can, that's where we get somewhere. You know, Chief, so many, and for all the Chiefs, so many things have uh, restrained our cops the diaphragm law, uh, bail reform, uh, body-worn video, the fact that everyone out in the public has video and they think they're, they're allowed to get in the cop's face while he's doing his job. There is no support, zero support from the politicians. And I, I mean, you know, people say, oh, don't get political. Policing is politics. I don't care what anyone says. The P in police stands for politics because if you don't know how to play the politics – you're never going to survive on any police department. They, they, they've, de they've, they've criminalized crime and decriminalized a lot of policing. It's a shame what they've done. Yeah. Uh, Willis Pony, thank you. She is calling me my my old name from the anti-crime. They called me the Supreme Commander. Could you uh, thank you for the forty nine ninety nine super chat, Supreme Commander? Could you please tell us which of these awesome hysterical heroes? A single. Oh my God! <laughs> I, I think I, I don't want Joe Fox. I, I think you are right. I'm spoken for. Oh. <laughs> is not here now, but she's close. Yeah. All right. Then, then I think all of them are uh, are married. Uh, 
I know Chief Animal's been married probably close to 50 years, right, Chief? Over 50. Over 50 years. 54 years. Eddie, Eddie Hartnett, may he don't let the hair fool you. He's married. He's not he's he's not out there trolling, but uh, no, happily they're all married. Grown. Happily married, yes. He's happily married. You know, I, I gotta stay to the format. We're at 40 minutes already into the show. Eddie, uh, you gotta get you gotta get your chance. This is fascinating, you know. One of the things that uh, I wish we had more of, believe it or not, my audience, which just crossed 31,000, almost at 32,000, um, we have very few cops that are subscribed to us. My biggest audience are women in the ages of 45 to 65. That's my biggest audience. Where are all you damn cops? <laughs> they, if, if they watch the show, they don't subscribe. I, you know, And it has nothing to do with money because it's free to subscribe. You know what I mean? They they could be listening, but they won't bother to, to subscribe. So all you guys should order these cops. Get and watch police off the cuff real crime stories, you know? You it's crazy. <laughs> Eddie, you ready? Good stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm ready. You know, uh first of all, Bill, kidding aside, uh I'm honored and humbled to be with these two gentlemen on this on this broadcast. Uh Joe Fox, one of the most upbeat, positive guys I've ever met in my life. Uh super nice, but also super sharp totally plugged into his community and always plugged into his cops, as he indicated. So, Joe, I'm very happy with your new venture. You had a great career in the NYPD and in the private world, and now you're moving on to this other thing, and, and best of luck to you. Chief, you know how I feel about you. Uh, the disorder control stuff is kind of a, a chapter, but, you know, the CompStat, the renaissance of New York City, you know, everybody talks about Jack Maple, rightfully so, and Bill Bratton and John Timoney. You're right there. You're on that Mount Rushmore with those guys, and, uh, you know, an honor to be with you today. Uh and he did yell at me a couple of times. But that's okay. We'll get into that another time. Uh, I, you I know, Eddie, Eddie, I just want uh, everyone to know that besides Bill, Bill, you you're a chief. Time, Bill. It's okay. Good. What's that? Oh, you want to show your ESU shirt. Okay, oh, go ahead. My, ESU shirt. my son, Matt, uh, 17 years on the job, proud member of ESU. Good. Uh, uh, anyway, I am. I told Bill I am protesting because many of my relatives and alleged fans are in Ireland now dead asleep. They can't vote for me. Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, I just Eddie, I just wanted people to know that besides you being a chief on the NYPD, Eddie was the uh, Yonkers police commissioner for five years, yeah, and, and, uh, and he, uh, you know, that's agency. that's that's a huge honor to be a police commissioner anywhere, and it I really think that's was. probably that's probably the picture he used when he that's was my, the PC of that's Yonkers. My that's my community. It's quite yes. it's quite an honor. All right, Eddie, I don't want to take any more of your time away. But anyway, you, you got the floor. That Bill gave me this format two minutes before the broadcast started. So I jotted some notes down real quick. And uh, a few of my stories, just like Chief Animal, I'm going to jump around a little bit. He was called feisty in the media. Uh, he was called hard charging in the media. I was always called feisty. I'm not sure if that's an insult or a compliment. But uh, uh, a couple of my stories actually involved the chief. Uh, one of them, and the chief knows this story, I think. Uh, uh, I call it bathroom comstat. Uh, I'm a precinct commander at the time. Um, I know I'm going to get called up after the break. Uh, I go to the bathroom. There's a line of guys waiting to get into the bathroom. I'm online and I look and no disrespect, but the chief is standing at a urinal and uh, the one next to him is empty. And I'm like three or four guys back and I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, they're just shaking their heads. They were afraid to go take a <laughs> little pee next to him. <laughs> and, I, and they said, I, they said, he's going to ask me questions. I go, listen, I got to go and I'm getting up next. So I, of course, stand next to the chief and we're taking care of business. And he looks over to me and he says, Eddie, what are you doing about those burglaries? <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And then we went through we went through my whole presentation basically as we were emptying our bladders. Uh, burglaries, grand larcenies. There was someone in the community had a had problem, and so I, I basically rehashed my stuff at the podium ten minutes later. But we did bathroom comp that. So then years years later, uh, the chief is now retired, and uh, I'm the commanding officer of the intelligence division. It's New Year's Eve. I'm down there early, and they have the temporary headquarters vehicle right down there in Times Square. So I go into the temporary headquarters vehicle. Talk to the guys, and I had said hello to the chief outside. He, he was there with his family or something. He's walking around in civilian clothes. He's obviously, you know, a civilian now. And uh, I go into the temporary headquarters vehicle and talk to the guys there. And some cop opens the door up and yells inside, Anamone's coming. <laughs> and he's been off the job like three or four years at this point. And I'm like, What? And then the guy starts getting the book up to date. Another guy's putting his tie on. Another guy's getting dressed and combing his hair. And <laughs> I'm saying, guys, he's not the chief of department anymore. Goes, oh, we don't care, man. He's coming. <laughs> and I, I see him. I see the chief outside. I go, you see? And he goes, I still got it, Ed. I still got it. <laughs> uh, another, another individual who was very important to me and to the chief was the late, great Gene Mullahy. Yeah. <laughs> and Gene, of course, was, was a great cop, a great person, one of the best guys I've ever worked with in the 3-2 precinct. Very proud member of the 3-2 precinct. Uh, and Gene was part, and Pete Pranzo might be listening, and Pete would know better than anybody. Uh, Pete Pranzo was sergeant at the time, and he ran a, uh, I guess they call it the conditions unit. And it was, uh, they basically were, they'd go out with a big van, and they would fill up the van every day, with sometimes with the same guys. Uh, and then they would also hit abandoned buildings, and they were basically out there taking care of business all the time. And Listen, these guys later in the day might have been shot, so they were probably doing a public service that these guys weren't on the corner anymore because they were all getting scooped up by Gene and Pete and the rest of the guys, Louis LeBlanc. Yeah. Uh, but so one time they asked us to help. So we go with them. They go to abandoned buildings, and it's like 10 degrees. These guys are inside abandoned apartment with the, with the gas stove on, and they're all huddled up warm, dead asleep. And Gene Muller, he walks in with one of the classic lines I've ever heard in policing. To all these sleeping men in this room, he says, gentlemen, wake up. You're all under arrest for disorderly conduct. <laughs> so, so uh, uh, sadly, sadly, Gene passed, but uh, his, his legacy lives on. His legacy definitely lives on. Uh, I have a, a, a kind of a, of a menudo story, like the chief. Uh, I was, uh, the chief's not involved in this one. I, listen, I, I have to not involve him in every story, but I was a... I was lieutenant and uh, at a detail, and Nelson Mandela was coming to town. Uh, and they had a stage set up right at like 125th, I think, at 7th Avenue. And I had a whole whole blockade set up and a bunch of cops. I was a lieutenant, I guess. And I was very impressed because I'd get to see Nelson Mandela, you know, world figure and a, you know, a freedom fighter, the whole bit. But a disturbance breaks out off to the side. So I see this fellow, and the cops are like trying to talk to this guy. And this guy is a little guy, uh, African-American. He had steel teeth. He was dressed all in like purple velour. He was a tiny little guy. He had a big clock around his neck. And he was sipping a, a baby bottle filled with, with purple liquid, which of course I assumed was wine. So being a veteran Harlem officer, I thought maybe he was a local guy. And usually those guys who like to drink a lot of wine, they want to go direct traffic or something. So I don't know what this guy was doing. But then I see the young cops start freaking out. And they start having their picture taken with this guy. And I don't know who he is. And then finally somebody says, well, I said, what does he want? He goes, he's supposed to go up on the dais with Nelson Mandela. And I'm saying, we're not letting this character anywhere near Nelson Mandela. 
it turns out he's the uh, he was popular at the time. It was Flavor Flav. And <laughs> sure enough, they come off the dais. There's a guy with a clipboard, and he says, "Yes, Mr. Flav, please come with me." And there's there's file footage somewhere of Flavor Flav up on the dais with Nelson Mandela. So I kind of felt old at the time, uh, but uh, another quick story. Uh, again, just just kind of sweep of consciousness here, just throwing stuff out. I don't want to run out of time, but uh, when I got to the five two precinct as a rookie cop in NSU, uh, I'm in the locker room. Guys wouldn't talk to you, and so I'm in my underwear. This guy's in my underwear, and he comes over and he says, "Hey, we heard all you guys that are just coming on the job have college." He says. You got college? But the way he said it, he made it sound like it was an ailment, like or a disease, like or a rash. You know, like, you got college? And then he brought some other guy over in his underwear. You got college? This guy got college? You got college? So I'm like, hey, guys, you know, yeah, I got college. And they're like, yeah, but you're in the same locker room with us now, aren't you? So, <laughs> so, so they, they, were, uh, they were not necessarily, you know, enamored of the, of the college man in the locker room, but uh, they, got, they got used to me. Uh, uh, we're, we're good on time, Bill. I don't want to. I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, no, here. Eddie, you're, you're good. You're good. In uh, fact, I'll even give everyone another couple of minutes so that the people can remember you before they vote. <laughs> well, okay, okay, but again, you know, my protest has been filed with Patreon. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, I just want to, Eddie. I just want to mention we have Lieutenant Peter Pranzo, uh, an all-time three-two uh, lieutenant. The uh, he has a book called The Harlem Raiders. Uh, Lieutenant Pete, I always want to mention you. You're a great uh, American hero. Thank you for the $10 super chat. I also like when you give me money. Uh, but, folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. If you're not subscribed, go on our YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. Ring the bell. Give us a thumbs up. If you want to contribute to us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. We also have a YouTube channel members, which are, we have 108 people already. Uh, that It's growing and growing, our family. You see the folks in the uh, with the green font in the chat. They're part of our YouTube family. We're also just about hitting 32,000 subscribers. So the channel is growing, and partly because I, I have enough of a decent reputation that I can draw great guys like this to come on the show. I mean, to me, it's amazing. Uh, Chief Joe Fox, Chief Louis Anamone, Chief uh, Eddie Hartnett, they didn't hesitate a second when they asked them. They were like, yeah, yeah, I'd love to come on. You know, and yeah. to me, yeah. that's great. I mean, not only because there's humor and we have some fun, and we're New York City cops like to have fun, right, Eddie? <laughs> I thought we get paid for this. We're not getting paid for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> checks in the mail. <laughs> hey, Pran hey, Pranzo, you better start throwing some more money at this guy. <laughs> you know, we got some <laughs> other cops. We have uh, Captain Joe Kane is in the chat. Uh, Detective Scotty Wagner. Um, there's there's a bunch of people. I, I hope I didn't miss any, but there's there are some cops that regularly watch us, and uh, it's great to have their support. Also, Eddie, you got one more story? I got I got a I got a couple, I guess. But uh, I spent I spent a lot of time in the narcotics division, and uh, uh, we did a lot of search warrants. You know, Bronx, Manhattan South. I was in Manhattan South at the time, and uh, I would go on the search warrants a lot. So it, this building we're in on the Lower East Side looks like the building that Vito Corleone lived in Godfather 2. It's that kind of building. Two, two apartments on each floor, real dingy, old, decrepit building. And so you always, in the search warrants, obviously you always put guys in the backyard because when you start hitting the door with the ram, they're throwing drugs and guns out the window. So 
the guys with the ram never want to give up the ram. So there's this guy's hitting this door and the door's not coming down. It's an old building, but this door is like like solid and the door's not coming down. And my guys outside, they say there's drugs coming out of like nine different windows. That's the kind of building it's for. So finally we get the door open and we were hitting, we got the wrong door. We hit the only building, the only apartment building with this poor little Jewish lady who's been living there for like 65 years. So I'm sitting her down. I'm telling the guys, go to the hardware store, go to the lumber yard, yep. fix this door. We got to fix grandma's door. So she was okay. She was. She goes, what are you doing? She goes, everybody else deals drugs in the building except me. You knocked my door down. <laughs> so, and then, of course, on the wall, she has a, a picture, scotch taped to the wall, of, of the Mashiach, uh, Rabbi Schneerson. And I'm thinking, oh boy, she's like tight buddies with Rabbi Schnitzen, you know, and he was the big guy at the time. Yeah. So I said to the guys, get an ambulance. And she says, no, nah, no, nah. she was a little short of breath. She goes, no, 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 I'm fine. I said, the ambulance is for me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a, a, a quick Yonkers story, and it, it's kind of a cool story, I think. Uh, I get to Yonkers and uh, again, great cops, great department. I, I loved every minute I was there. When we when I got there, we had to we had to fix and repair some relationships in the community, especially with the African American community. Uh, so there was a a reverend in the community, and he was not highly regarded. He had a he had a thing he invited me to come to speak in the church basement, and uh, wasn't a reputable guy, but I wasn't going to back down. So I said, I'm going to go. I'll speak. And then I even said, not that I'm a tough guy, but I said, you know what? I'm not going to go to Big Entourage. I'll go by myself. So I go by. I, I told people where I was in case I got kidnapped, but. Uh, uh, I go by myself, and you know I'm up there, and I'm I'm doing okay. I'm at the podium. I, listen, I was at the podium with this man talking to me, so I could take anything from these podiums. Uh, so you know it's it's going okay, but then uh, you know some guy gets up and he's he's breaking my chops about stuff, and he goes, and another thing, he goes, I want to know who are these three dudes in the front row, and in the front row were three big solid African American guys in in jackets and ties. And uh, they were they were Yonkers detectives, but they were members of the Guardians, and uh, they were there to look out for me. Oh, they was... said they said they said we're here for the commission. And yeah. It meant a lot to me. It meant a lot to that's these right. guys. Didn't that's they? great. That's excellent. That's a, that's a you great... know, I just want to tell a quick Anamone story. I think it's pretty funny. Back in the day, cops were shooting pit bulls left and right because drug dealers were using them put him yeah. on the roof to guard their stash and all kinds of other shit. So he, he had gone to the range and to, uh, to try to talk to people about not shooting these pitfalls. You may have to take one for the gipper, which I was like, oh, yes, you're going to sacrifice your leg for the gipper because, you know, they don't want the, part, the department didn't want these guys shooting pitfalls anymore. The, yeah, there was really, a rash of them, right, Chief? My guy shot. My guy shot so many dogs, and they didn't shoot pit bulls. I mean, I would go to shootings, and you know, with shooting, you got to go to everyone, and you got to do the whole paperwork. They were yeah. shooting Shih Tzus and poodles, and they were shooting every dog they could yeah, find. Yeah, exactly. Chihuahuas, <laughs> Chihuahuas. They heard a bark, and they stopped. No, so it wasn't the department. It was me, Billy. I was pushing this issue. Put the gun away. If I cried out loud, it's a dog. Come on. <laughs> One guy told me, one guy told me, he goes, hey, boss, it was him or me. I go, him? He was a dog that had a broken paw. He was like a mix, like a terrier and a schnoodle or whatever they called him. I said, this guy? <laughs> you know, there was a housing cop years ago. 
that killed the pit bull by laying on top of it. Do you remember that, Chief? No, no, I don't. He, he suffocated the dog. He just laid on top of it. You know, it, he, oh, I guess oh, he may have heard your speech. He didn't shoot him. He laid on top of him and, yeah. uh, no. and uh, restrain asphyxia, I guess that was called. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they were shooting dogs in hallways, in apartments. You know, there, there were other people around, the ricocheting all over the place. Come on. <laughs> you know, guys, we're at almost close to an hour. I'm going to start with each. It's almost like the Miss America pageant. You get to say like your last your last statement, and then I'll take the vote because I don't want to keep you guys here much longer than an hour. Chief Joe Fox, final just, words before uh, we take the vote. This is not a pitch to, for a vote, but at the risk of uh, owing you a whole bunch of messages, Ed, so I can catch up because this is my second accolade for Chief Adamon. So I got I got to catch up with you and 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 get get to you this week and tell you what a class man I think you are and how much I love working around you constantly. Thank you, thank you, Joe. Um, but Chief Adamon, especially with this time of year, you know we're a few days away from September 11th. Yeah. I remember well before 9/11. I was a one star or a two star or both, and there was a series of meetings that he chaired and came up with. Uh, for counterterrorism prevention and response. And the first time I ever heard that language in the NYPD, I had been a captain since 91. And it's the first time I ever heard that language or attended a meeting. And as I remember, we had, a, you, had you already had the levels, Omega, uh, I forget what the, all three of them were, A, B, C, and they were all different threats. And it was well before 9-11. And I and lost track of what happened with that. But but you had you had the vision and the direction and and well before and and I just want you to know I think of that more than you would think. Thank, thank you, thank you, Joe. Chief Louis, thank you, thank you, Bill. What can I say? I'm I'm with three stars here tonight. Uh, Eddie, the best. Going back to our days in the three two and our yeah. you know, friendships there and and since then and. Hosting Gene Mullahy and I when we came to visit you up in Yonkers, that made our day, and I know it made it meant a lot to uh, to Gene. Sure. Billy, you go back to my days as an early captain in the two old. <laughs> my God, but you were, you were a great anti-crime cop there for us. Thank you, Chief. And Joe, thank you for the kindness over the years, and for uh, even inviting me to speak to the uh, the troops when you were borough commander. That was great. Yeah, thanks. Thank and by the way, for the public, come on, give the old guy a vote here. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. He snuck yeah. that one in. Eddie. <laughs> He's good. He's good. Hey, hey real quick, uh, you know, I was, I was, I had great jobs in the NYPD, and, and, and one of them was I was commanding officer of the intelligence division. Uh, yeah, I was there before, on, and after 9 11. And my guys did incredible work. After 9-11, it was only a division then. Now it's a bureau and got great guy like Tom Delotti in charge of it. But back then it was a division kind of looked upon as all they do is dignitary protection. These guys, especially on 9-11 and afterwards, uh, risked their lives, commandeered boats, got people out, uh, ran down thousands of leads in the weeks and months that followed. Uh, you know, guys like John Cutter, Pat Bradley, Kevin Perham, Richie Lava, Jimmy Sackle. I mean, these guys did incredible work and never, I didn't, didn't ask for credit, but never got the credit I thought they deserved. So shout out to those guys. Good. That's great. So folks, um, right now we're going to take the vote. Uh, number one, if you uh, liked, um, we, we liked all the stories. I loved all the stories. They were great. Uh, Chief Joe Fox is number one. 
if you, if you liked uh, Chief Louis Anamone, he's number two. And <laughs> and if you liked Eddie Hartnett, he's number three. You can post your vote right now, and they're going to be counted by Angie Eng, who I trust. And uh, <laughs> look, look at Eddie's hanging his note. Uh, we'll let we'll let everyone know. And you know, I just want to let you guys know. I mean, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I know all three of you have been on solo, and it, uh, you've been great guests solo. And I love talking to you guys. And uh, you know, there's certain stories, I guess, Chief. Uh, all chiefs, we can't ask for the public domain, you know. But uh, I, I admit to when I Chief, when I saw you at the three two at the um, Thing for the two officers that were killed on the line of duty. I had always wanted to ask you a couple of things in private, but I ne- I just never got the chance to, you know. Yeah. And one of these days, one of these days, yeah. I will. We'll have a drink together, and uh, yeah. it, it would be great. But thank you so. I mean, look, if cops that that listen to this live or listen to it after the fact, if they don't enjoy these stories, I mean, then they're not a cop. I mean, New York City cops. We love telling stories, right? And usually we have a corona in our hand when we're telling the story, and the stories get bigger. Yeah, we're drinking water now. And I can't, know. I can't say anything for my colleagues here, but half of my stories are true. <laughs> oh God, they're true. My God, we got people. We have people voting now. I'm not seeing any numbers in the uh, in the chat. So wow. right now you can vote. But number one, Joe Fox. Number two, Chief Louis Anamone. Number three, uh, Chief uh, Eddie Hartnett. So, uh, Billy, w- one question. Uh, how do I log in my vote? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you would have all of Brooklyn calling up and trying to get into the chat here. And same thing with Eddie. He's got Ireland, but they're all sleeping, yeah. he says. You know? Like I said, too, I was the committee of the 109 Precinct, a very large uh, Chinese and Korean population. It's, it's like the middle of the workday over there. My, my fans over there can't vote. Because <laughs> right. they're, on, they're on their fourth or fifth Guinness. That's why they can't vote. So listen, I'm the, uh, I'm the only one who grew up across the street from the L&B Gardens in the Marlboro Projects. If that right. counts for anything at all, there we there we go. There's the sign. I I went there with uh, Phil Grimaldi. Couldn't make it tonight. He was supposed to co-host, but he gave me two of these pies to take home with me, and they're they're just unbelievable. I mean, uh, yeah, that's that's they call them squares. It's not even Sicilian, right? They call them yeah. squares. They call listen. I, I, it's a great place, but that picture doesn't do it justice. That looks like a crime scene. That picture. <laughs> That looks like a guy who fell off a roof. <laughs> you you rarely see a regular slice being eaten at place. Yeah. So it's all square. Yeah. It's uh yeah, I mean I when I took it home, Phil Grimaldi told me there's a there's a secret. You can freeze it and then you unfreeze it and he goes, You put it in the oven, put a little olive oil on top, a little parmesan cheese, and he says it's as good as new. Yeah. <laughs> and I did it and it was. I guess that's their secret recipe, you know. Yeah, yeah. How, how is Philly doing? He's doing great. He, he, he actually had to drive um, the owners of Spumoni Gardens to a meeting. He got stuck in downtown Brooklyn, and he couldn't make it back. He, he he broke his heart. He wanted to be on the show tonight. Oh, Phil's a good but, man, and he, and he he shook down these guys for two hundred bucks. Though. wow, that's great. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's who you're gonna. Whoever wins, you're gonna have to see Phil for the either the gift card or you just go there and say, "Hey, I won the." Yeah. Police off the cuffs contest. Yeah. Did they did they suspend the vote count here? What's going on? Is, uh, 
Are the machines not working? Or someone said Dom to yield PSO 1995 Chief Anamone shows up in the 115 during Dominican Day Parade riot. Um, six hours of chaos under Chief Gertrude. Louis Anamone showed up on a Sunday afternoon from upstate. Riot was over in 20 minutes. <laughs> Well, what did he do? How did he have that talent to do that? That also was true, and the chief is modest about it. But Crown Heights was 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 out of control for two days, and then somebody's had to had the the the, uh, the forethought to say, "Let's send Chief Animal out there," and everything was under control by the end of that day. Hmm. Oh, wait a minute, guys! I'm being told that uh, the results of the vote are in. Angie Yang, you want to let us know? I, I'm sort of in uh, suspense myself. Uh, could you? Could you text it into the chat? Build the suspense. We'd like to know. Yes, uh, I'm working on my acceptance speech. Well, I, I'm not. I'm not seeing the result. Angie coming in. Wait, coming in third with twelve is Chief Joe Fox. Good job, Joe. Who's a? She's keeping me in suspense. With I guess she's still counting. Uh, Second place is Chief Hartnett with 21. I guess that means Chief Louie won. <laughs> Adamone wins. Very nice. Very nice. Wow, you know something? He was campaigning. He was calling Brooklyn. He was he was calling the owners. He was pulling stories. Poor kid living across the street. Of course they're going to vote for the guy. He had 31. Chief Adamone had 31 uh, votes. Wow. That's great. I, Thank I you. I got to work on my material. So, Chief, <laughs> Chief, I'll have uh, Phil Grimaldi contact with you. Uh, contact you to uh, set it up on how to come in and get the prize, yeah, or yeah. just show up and you know they'll take care of it. Yeah, Billy. But, uh, again, guys, I, I, this was great. You know, we had a we had a and all you folks in the chat were sending me super chats and stuff like that. Thank you so much. I didn't have a chance to address every one of them. Because I was listening to these guys' stories, and I didn't want to uh, have my have, be pulled away from it. But I really, you know, when we come up with other police topics, I would like to have every single one of you on again, yeah. uh, solo or even together. Uh, you're, you're great American heroes, you're great police chiefs, and uh, and you, you got a good line of shit too, you know. <laughs> and that's what that's what people like to hear. I want to find uh, out who, who did Pranzo vote for. That's what I want to know. <laughs> oh wow! You can't you can't do that. That's why he the ballots are secret. He had to you go. know, ballots. He, he had to go with the chief. I get it. It's okay, Pete. I love you. Guys, uh, what can I say? You want to just say goodbye? We're ready to yeah. ready to go. I'll play Thank our you. outro. Thank you so Thank much. You. Uh, all you guys were fantastic. Thank uh, you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. God bless the NYPD. Thank you. Yes. Absolutely. Stay strong, guys, gals. Stay strong. Never back. One episode, just ain't enough.